you know, I'll say that you have to be very, very gritty. So um, obviously things are not always going to go your way when you're just starting out. Um, that's maybe an understatement. So I think, you know, having some resilience and some grit is going to be very, very important. You know, some people thrive in the face of adversity and, and some people just, it's really not going to be for them. And so to, to know that about yourself or um, kind of how you're going to react when um, people are, you know, not only kind of ignoring your idea or you, but also maybe even putting up barriers or trying to resist change. Um, that can be just pretty, pretty tough and deflating, but um, therein lies the reward, right? You're working on something that, you know, very few other folks, you know, potentially could be working on it at, at the same time. One, two, Welcome to the Green Hour, a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. Hey guys, I'm Preston Pogue, and on the show today, you will hear from Trevor Jones, who is the CEO and founder of Lynx Global Intelligence. Lynx is bridging the gap between ESG, technology, and mining through its intuitive SaaS platform. On the show, you will hear how Lynx came to be, you will learn what ESG is, and learn the ESG standards that mining companies have to comply with, and lastly, we take a deep dive into the platform itself, examining its structure, capabilities, and the strategy the team is using with its rollout. When I say the word mining, where does your mind go? Do you think of heavy machinery digging into the ground? Or think of specific mining like coal mining? Or maybe you think of crypto mining, which is an entirely different ballgame. Mining is a very broad industry and is often misunderstood. We all have preconceived ideas of what mining is, or at least the generalization of mining. I will say I've yet to meet someone who can clearly explain what crypto mining is, but that is a discussion for another time. What I have learned to understand about mining is it is crucial for the future of civilization. We have natural resources inside the earth and it is our job to extract these resources. Sounds easy enough, right? We have a supply of resources and we just have to find them. Well, it isn't so easy, especially when you consider the environmental harm. In the past, mining companies were not as concerned with their environmental footprint and it led to environmental harm civilian sickness, and in some cases, death, as we saw with the black lung epidemic. Thankfully, that's the past, and mining companies have started to prioritize sustainable mining practices. So much so that you now have designated teams on mine sites that track, gather, and report ESG data. Mining companies figured it out, as did the investors, who want to put their money into organizations doing right by the environment. Now let's go back to the point of teams on the mine sites tracking, gathering, and reporting ESG data. They have been writing the findings inside field notebooks, um, which someone takes and inputs into spreadsheets, which is then translated by someone else into a report for senior management. It all sounds very inefficient, right? Writing data on paper, putting it into a spreadsheet, and then creating a report. It is a lot of unnecessary steps. Couldn't you just input the data into a system from the start? Our guests on the Green Hour today solved this very problem by creating a software as a service platform 
for ESG data collection in the mining industry. Trevor Jones is the CEO and founder of Lynx Global Intelligence, a company that is bridging the gap between ESG, technology, and mining. With Lynx platform, people on the mine sites can ditch the field notebooks and spreadsheets, replacing them with an intuitive software solution. Lynx platform provides real-time capabilities, allows for forward planning and responsiveness, and brings cost and time savings. Now, instead of using multiple platforms to achieve ESG data collection and reporting, you only need one. Trevor's path to solving this problem was not a straight line, as he used other experiences to identify the problem and solution. You know, my background is a little bit um, circuitous. It, it uh, took a bit of a winding path. Um, you know, I was an academic in international relations. I went into uh, consulting, <clears throat> started Lynx really as a consulting company, if you'll believe that. And then um, over the years, we realized the need for technology um, transformation and digital transformation in a few different industries. And we went ahead and started building the Lynx platform. So um, I come from kind of a social science and an international relations background, which is so definitely surprising to some people, um, you know, given what we do at Lynx. Um, but there's a massive kind of, you know, IR component to that um, and how we think about, you know, our markets and sustainability and the interactions between um, governments. So, yeah, that's kind of how I wound up here. And, um, you know, I, there's never kind of a, a simple story behind companies. I think people um, tend to have that kind of winding path and there's no eureka moment. But, um, yeah, here we are today and happy to be very glad to be working, excited to be working at the intersection between um, mining and ESG and technology as well. Right, right. So so I'd ask you, I mean, you're saying that you started Lynx as a consulting firm um, in the beginning. Did you see a problem in the beginning when you were doing this work and said, hey, we, we have to create a solution? Is that is that kind of how Lynx started? Because I know a lot of a lot of businesses are started when you identify a problem and say, hey, I don't really see anything on the market. I don't see anybody doing this. And this is something that's needed. Is that is that what happened with Lynx? Yeah, I would say that's accurate. Um, you know, we have kind of a lot of consulting services that are offered in, in mining. But if you look at the technology landscape, a lot of it's focused on the geophysical aspect of what's happening at the mine. And rightly so, because, you know, performance and productivity is is super important for for, you know, our clients and for the mining industry writ large. But when you take a look at, you know, non-geological data, so, you know, everything that has to do with environment, community, governance, data, these aspects, um, you know, you're looking at data sets that have just in the in the past really been captured kind of manually or on spreadsheets or notebooks. And so um, when you see that kind of, I guess, really lack of digital transformation, just for those particular kinds of data, um, it was important for us to to start building technology to to start assessing those things. So if we're talking about mining here, um, and that's that's the gist of, of what you're doing is bridging this gap between ESG, you know, finding new ways to use technology to collect data and to create dashboards so you can visualize data and you can you can have real real time metrics um, so that leaders can make decisions. So when we're talking about the mining industry. In the last few episodes, we have talked about you know rare earth mining um, and how important that is for the nuclear industry. We've talked about it for you know rare earth minerals and how how important that is for a lot of different industries. But what forms of mining is Lynx working with? Because I know there's a lot there's a lot of uh, different forms of mining. Is there something 
particular that you're working with or is it kind of widespread? You know, we're fairly agnostic, Preston, to the kind of types of minerals or mineral uh, bodies that we um, serve. And so, you know, we have a pretty wide range. We definitely enjoy working with our critical and rare earth miners, Um, you know, things like nickel, copper, these things are are going into batteries um, and those battery metals are crucial for our transition away from fossil fuels. And I'm sure your listeners are probably aware of that. Um, so, you know, but we don't, we kind of don't discriminate between, you know, betwixt the, the ore body types. Um, we're really there to serve the industry writ large. And um, indeed we're thinking about, you know, serving um, not just miners, but finance and regulators too, that are, that need this data as well. So it kind of is, is pretty broad and, and, it will potentially get even more broad as time goes on. So for, for our listeners, I like to know how something at the beginning of the process comes to be and then how that, let's say mining, for example, how mining, you go into a mine and these organizations are mining a material. And then I like to show, okay, what's happening with that material? What product is being made? So could you talk about, you know, as far as your clients, let's say current clients, you don't have to get into the specifics of who they are, but what products are being made from these these materials? It's a great question. Um, you know, we like to focus on EV battery metals, so electric vehicle battery metals. Certainly, um, I believe it's the cathode in that battery requires a lot of nickel, for example. Um, so I'm, I'm sure maybe some of your more geophysically aware listeners could Correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but I believe it's either the anode or the cathode. I believe it's the cathode that requires a significant amount of nickel, um, along with graphite and a number of other minerals um, to produce those batteries. So if you look at the fact that there's supposed to be 350 million electric vehicles on the road, potentially by 2030, or at least that's the, the goal for, for many folks, um, you know, we're, we're going to have a huge need for, for nickel, for example, and, um, you know, I won't call them out by name, but I mean, I am thinking of uh, a particular client that we're serving in Ontario that is certainly filling that that role right now. You know, how important is it for mining companies to use sustainable mining practice? I mean, I've talked in the previous episodes about, you know, I went to school in eastern Kentucky, so I'm aware of coal mining and the negative effects that had to the environment. Um, but now you've had this big push for for sustainable mining practice. I mean, let's be honest, there should be. I mean, you saw the the detrimental effects that, you know, coal mining back in the day had for the communities, for the individuals that were involved. So how important is it for mining companies to use sustainable mining practices? Yeah, it's extremely important. Um, <clears throat> I think probably where most people will be surprised is that, you know, the mining industry actually does think of it that way. And so, despite some really high profile things that have happened in terms of mining sustainability. And, you know, there's been some events that were um, definitely extremely unfortunate, you know, that, that have made the press over the, the last few decades. Um, you know, the, the emphasis from the majors on down really tends to be um, on both health and safety and also environmental protection, and then to some extent, social engagement. And so, um, it's extremely important. And the reason it's important um, is twofold, right? It's both to treat environment and and community correctly. um, But also, you know, there's business continuity gains 
efficiency gains for these companies when they do the right thing tends to be less of a burden in terms of hours later on when they need to report on some of these things as well if um, they have best practices in place ahead of time. So we're kind of not a very, um, you know, we don't assign a score via the software. We're all about um, just helping companies get their data game in a good place, right? Um, really helping them enhance their data strategy with the Lynx platform. And then you're going to have a lot of um, great knock-on effects or secondary and tertiary effects from getting your data strategy in a more robust place. You're going to you know, be logging that environmental and community data um, in a way that's going to help you later on. So that's really why we exist at Lynx. And um, you know, the mining industry, again, has been, quote-unquote, doing sustainability or ESG um, for decades, I think, you know, the emphasis on sustainability grew in mining at a point when, you know, we were still trying to kind of figure out what ESG meant for other industries at the same time. And, um, that's been a really big kind of helpful trend or, um, yeah, it's been a, a nice, um, kind of wave to think about, you know, getting better at capturing data for ESG. So bouncing right off of that, one one aspect that I would have never thought of is if I'm in a mine, if I'm in a mine site, you know, talking to Emma, I don't know what it was a few weeks ago um, and talking about what they're doing at GreenMet. I would have never thought about somebody writing sure. down and collecting data on the site for ESG goals. So that is one aspect I didn't I didn't never know about. I never would have thought about. Sure. Um, so before we get into what that constitutes. Could you explain what ESG is and why it is important for the mining industry? Sure, absolutely. ESG is environmental, social, and governance data. Again, um, these are data categories that are integral to mining to begin with before we were calling it ESG, right? So, for example, um, you need a tremendous amount of water in many cases to um, to mine effectively, right? Um I'm not an engineer, and so I'm not going to go into the exact processes that, for example, separate the waste rock or tailings from, you know, the useful ore body itself. Sure, you probably have some other experts that will come on and explain that a little more adeptly than I can. Um, But you are measuring all kinds of environmental factors with that water. You're measuring the water before the availability, you know, the resource itself before it comes to the mine, you know, how it's being used, and then the effluents and tailings. And um, for example, pH content, presence of things like mercury, um, these things will allow you to to craft a more effective, you know, tailing strategy if you have those measurements logged in a place that's um, robust and and in one kind of data digitized um, area. So that that kind of is um, one specific example um, on, you know, the the community side, so the S, for example, so that's that was an E example. Um, you know, an S example tends to be what miners call social license. Um, you know, the idea that engaging with the community effectively, you know, hiring from the community, treating those workers well, um, being very open with the community about activities at the mine, communicating with the entire community well. Um, these are our best practices that, again, you know, successful miners have implemented for for many, many years, um, you know, whether they've been logging that data in a way that is useful for finance or regulators or other kinds of, you know, outbound stakeholders is, is maybe a different story. 
um, which again is kind of where we come in. And then, you know, in that G side governance, um, and I can tell you, Preston, there is, you know, debate that exists on whether we should be putting all of these letters in one um, kind of acronym, you know, maybe sustainability was a good way to, to think about it or, or name it or corporate social responsibility was another um, acronym that was used before, which, which could have been useful. But on the governance side, you know, that, that can refer both to um, how the company is governed on the ground. And so things like labor, but probably more so internal factors, um, diversity and inclusion factors, these kinds of things that are you know very important for, for corporate boards to be thinking about internally as well. So we jammed all these, um, these letters together, this acronym together a few years ago, or perhaps even farther, you know, there's scholars that could, that could comment on how ESG evolved, um, from CSR and sustainability and the SDGs and these other kind of acronyms that we've heard about. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, you know, it winds up being just very, very important to start to attend to that, that kind of data. And, um, ESG overall has been a, a very positive, um, kind of force just to um, make industry a little bit more transparent and aware, which again, is going to have efficiency gains and make them more money and prevent reputational risk issues in the end. So a lot packed in there. I would say that, you know, for me, I feel like if I know that mining companies have to abide by certain ESG standards and they have to report specific ESG, again, standards, then, you know, as me as a citizen, as someone in the community, especially if, if a mine is, is near me, then I'm going to feel a lot better about that because now I know that, you know, there there is something that is, I would say, being governed with these companies and something that they have to abide by. So, that's that's uplifting for me as a citizen that mining companies are doing this. They have to abide by these um, standards. So, yeah. So, so the next thing I would ask you is, do all mining companies have to comply to certain ESG standards? Um, and if and if so, what are some of those standards? So it's going to vary by the jurisdiction that the mine operates in. Um, you know, first of all, they're going to have their internal standards, right? They're going to have the way they communicate. Um, and the kind of environmental and social policies that they enforce um, internally. Um, so there is some kind of self-organization there. Um, then you're going to have, you know, national level reporting standards. Um, for example, there's a code for, um, you know, how much cyanide can be in the water in many com- countries um, based on the mining activity that's going on there. Um, and then you're also having this movement towards international standards. And this is where it gets kind of interesting and a little bit more um, probably complicated. Um, you have audit standards, you have performance standards, you have reporting standards. These are all going um, to kind of serve different functions in terms of how outside stakeholders are receiving information about what's going on um, at the mine. You have international bodies like the ICMM. Um, that are going to track some of these standards. You're also going to have um, independent standards bodies that are putting forth frameworks like GRI or SASB. Um, those are going to um, help with either the materiality or the accounting, respectively, in terms of reporting. Um, so, you know, a lot of it is, I think, what is called capital V voluntary. It, it does depend on, you know, the jurisdiction and also the kind of ESG profile that that company is is trying to do and what they're trying to do with that data. Um, you know, finance to their credit on on that side of the coin has started to really look at these standards, especially SASB and what's happening uh, at ISSB. And again, if 
we're looking at these acronyms up, you know, feel free to wade into the alphabet soup of what's going on. Um, but as those standards kind of coalesce and become more defined, um, that's pretty helpful too. You've seen some, I wouldn't call it competition, but you know, for a while there, there was um, a lot of effort to try to understand exactly which standard would become the norm. I don't think we're quite there yet, but um, it is possible that, you know, in the next few years we have standards that will become um, de rigueur or, or, you know, the kind of um, the normative standards that, that we'll all look to. Um, and, you know, we're, we're looking forward to that. I think on the platform we're tracking um, a, f- a few different, a, a number of standards that companies can attach to data categories and that kind of thing, which is pretty helpful for their reporting later on. Um, but yeah, it's still a pretty, the alphabet soup is is still very much in play and we're um, trying to understand you know where that's headed as well. So would you say that these standards in the U.S. are very different from that of the outside world? So those on the Western side compared to the Eastern side, is there a big shift? Is there a big difference? Or, I mean, is everyone kind of in the same ball game at this point? Yeah, there absolutely is a difference, sometimes regionally, sometimes depending on the size of the company too. Um, but yeah, you will have um, a movement really from the corporate um, social reporting directive um, CSRD that's coming out of Europe, that's going to push companies to um, really begin to codify this data. In fact, it's going to be required by law. We're really not there yet um, in terms of the um, SEC. Their proclamation will be coming out, I think, this year on probably climate only or emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. So you have a little bit of a difference in scope between Europe and the United States, for example. Um, but globally, you know, people look to, I would say, the standards that are developed domestically here and, and also in Europe. Um, you know, we haven't seen a robust ESG regime emerge from um, China, for example, or, or countries like that. So um, I would still say it's very kind of Western driven, whether those standards are adopted. You know, another good example is um, TSM towards sustainable mining out of Canada. Uh, Mexico just signed on. I think there's five or six. Latin American countries that are looking to that standard in Canada. So um, you could probably spend, indeed, we have um, an individual at Lynx that essentially works full-time on understanding the web of standards and exactly um, where we're headed and how Hmm. folks can report best moving forward. Right, right. I guess you have to have that if it's ever-changing and if it's always moving, so you have to keep keep up to date on those things. So could you walk me through the procedures a mining company goes through today to comply with with these different mining standards? I mean, do you have people on these mine sites that their their sole job is to, you know, collect the data and report the data? And you have somebody walking around with a with a notepad, just walking around um, and just collecting data. Is that kind of how it works, or is or is it more complex than that? You know, in many places that that absolutely is the case in terms of data capture. So you might have a field um, geological technician who who walks um, with a field notebook, perhaps a write in the rain notebook, um, or maybe a spreadsheet, perhaps when they um, get back to the truck or whatever it happens to be. And that, you know, um, again, it just winds up being a little bit more messy and inefficient than I think um you know, we can kind of provide as a software company, which is putting some of those processes, you know, actually on your phone 
on your tablet and, and making the platform work offline. Um, some of these um, concessions are in extremely austere environments. For example, we have clients in southwestern Ethiopia. We have one in Nunavut, Canada, which is near the Arctic Circle. Um, you know, it's like 0.1 um, persons per kilometer in terms of the, the population density there. Um, so, yeah, you have um, I, I actually, you know, before we really started focusing on mining a few years ago, um, I didn't really understand quite how awesome or fun, frankly, the you know, geological technician job potentially is. You know, they're traveling to these environments. Um, they're taking a very, very close look at the land and the surroundings and the kind of feasibility of of doing their work there. Um, and then they're recording this information. And again, we're just trying to make that easier for them as they walk around. Um, but then, you know, that, that information that's captured is kind of assimilated into a number of systems. If it's a larger mining company, you may have different departments that are capturing data for different reasons. And then perhaps an ESG manager who has um, the kind of pretty tough task of compiling and aggregating all of that info and then reporting it up to boards and that kind of thing or to outside stakeholders or investors, shareholders. So um, it's a, it's a, it's a value chain, just like the, just like the minerals itself. The data is a value chain too. You, you know, it starts at the mine site ideally um, and then works its way up um, to corporate and other, other areas too. So what it sounds like to me is you have, you have these mining companies that are, you know, they're doing a lot, a lot of good things. They're doing a lot of different things, but they're using age old methods to collect data in our world where technology is constantly evolving. And you have platforms, you know, like yours, like links that can make their job a lot easier. And to be honest with you, what it sounds like from, from that analysis, it's they could almost cut down the workforce to with a very good piece of technology. What I would say is, um, what it can do is help the workforce focus on what they need to be working on and save a lot of hours. So, um, you know, we're not a, I want to make it clear that we're not an AI platform that's going to kind of reduce the number of jobs in mining, but we can make people's days and their workflows much more efficient um, and potentially safer too, because, you know, health and safety data is part of what the platform ingest too. So um, yeah, whether it can reduce the kind of number of boots on the ground, I think that remains to be seen, but um, you know, we're not necessarily thinking of it that way. We're thinking of definitely making your workflow and, and your, your job of work at that mindset um, quite a bit more efficient. So I wanted to give a background um, for the listeners into ESG and, and mining in general. So they had, you know, an understanding before we got into links, but, but I think we're at a point now where we can talk about links, global intelligence. Um, and the first question I want to get into is what, what inspired you to start links global intelligence? You talked about it briefly in the beginning. Um, you started as a consulting firm. Um, you see a problem that needs to be solved. Um, but is there anything else that, you know, inspired you to start um, this data company? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a massive impact that can be achieved um, in the industry if we can assist in that digital transformation and moving towards capturing data um, in a more in a more digital format. So, um, you know, there there of course is a is a massive opportunity um, as a software company to um, go out and um, really, you know, essentially change a large portion of that workflow or, or 
you know, how that data is being captured. And in doing that, you're going to create efficiencies um, that have the circular effect. People are going to want to capture ESG data more and more because it's easier and therefore that data is going to be more meaningful and we can get trends and patterns, et cetera. So, um, and, you know, when you talk about the environment and, and of course, communities close to the mine, there's massive impacts there as well. Um, if this data is well documented and, and stored and saved and shared and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely multiple, it's a great question. There's multiple drivers for me, multiple motivations to go out there and, um, really try to make a difference both for the way companies organize themselves and manage this kind of information, but, um, and communicate that information, but also, you know, the environmental and social impact too. And you really just, you can't separate them is, is, is the thing it's, you know, you can be driven by one more than the other, but, um, to do this correctly, we're really going to have to improve systems at the, at the place where quote unquote ESG happens where sustainability happens, which is at the at the asset itself. So I'm interested, Trevor. I'm always interested in, in how people pick names for their business. So I'm with Lynx. You know, my mind obviously goes to the animal. You know, where did where did this name come from? Are you are you just a big fan of of Lynx as an animal, or, or where did that come from? You know, we're here in Colorado. We've had um, actually the Lynx population come back, as I'm aware, over the last few years, and so. Um, you know, for us, it, it's got kind of a, a few meanings. You know, one of them is that a lynx in its natural environment is super perceptive. Um, it kind of has these tufts on its ears that are able to capture a little bit more information about what's going on in its surroundings. Um, it lives in very kind of austere places. Um, so, I mean, you know, the, the, the company's name, I think, is uh, also a a double entendre in terms of the way it sounds as well, because we're trying to create links between different data sets and what's happening on the ground. But um, absolutely, we use the animal. Um, it's a it's a really fantastic um, kind of magnificent beast that um, you know we look to for inspiration um, at the company. You know, we've touched on it a little bit of your platform when talking about you know the current methods that these mining companies are using. But could you tell a little bit about your platform very briefly, um, if, if you give a high level uh, just summary about what your platform does and, and how how it is benefiting um, different different mining companies? Yeah, Preston. So as we mentioned, you know, a lot of companies are capturing this information in notebooks and spreadsheets, field notebooks and this kind of thing. Um, you know, what the Lynx platform does is provide an environment that works offline or online. So you can be you know, at a satellite location away from headquarters with no Wi-Fi or cell signal, and you're still going to be able to enter this data. So we, we provide this kind of environment um, where both environmental and community side folks can add what we call events. I mean, events are anything from citing a caribou herd to having a community engagement meeting um, to even a health and safety event like an inspection um, or God forbid, an injury or a fatality, right? So these can be um, all logged as events inside the platform. We allow um, users to upload videos. They can do pictures, um, attachments. Um, there's quite a robust mapping or GIS function inside the platform as well. So we know precisely where these events occurred. Um, and that's all logged inside of a database or an event log um, that users can click into. They can share that data. They can receive alerts and notifications when the data is either missing or varies from kind of what they expect it to be logged. 
Um, they can task other folks with logging data. So um, if I need Preston, you know, if you need me to go out in the field and um, check out a potential site or look at the water availability for a potential mine, you know, I can go out and take those measurements and then show you that I've completed that. And then you'll see that um, that kind of task chain or chain of custody was completed. So it's an all encompassing kind of holistic data environment for this data capture. Um, and then there's a couple other functions like an audit log and um, some reports as well that you can create. Um, and then there's also a dashboard along the lines of what you'd see with many business intelligence tools um, as well. So I will say, Trevor, when I first came across you and what you do, um, I was delighted because one of the most fun projects I ever did in my life was working with this company called Digit Technologies. And, and what we did, and the CEO there, Dan Keichel, um, I worked with him. And what we did was create this, um, I would call it a production you know, software where we we created, you know, dashboards, we created data entries, and we created a whole system um, on the on a manufacturing floor that followed QR codes. So whenever I'll just say the product, the product is going through the funnel. Every every time that the product would go to to the next stage um, in the production process, a QR code would be scanned and that would upload all the data to the system. Um, it would upload that to the dashboard and the customer um, of that order would get an automated email knowing where their order is in line for production and in line for shipping. So right. we were able to do a lot cool. of cool things with this platform and obviously manufacturing, very different than mining. But it's interesting because SaaS platforms are, are all are all similar in a sense. Um, and when I when I saw your platform, I was like, wow. I, I'm I can't I'm I've never coded before. I'm not a software engineer, but I can understand what you're doing just from working on that project and working on what we did. So all I know is what we were able to do, we created so much data that the organization didn't have before. Um and the dashboards showed so much so much for, for upper level management and also the people on the floor that they were able to do their jobs at a more efficient level. Um one example of that would be we created a dashboard for the people on the production floor and we would give them goals every day. So we'd give them a daily goal, a weekly goal, a monthly goal. And if they hit that goal, they were able to get a prize. Let's say it's a weekly bonus. Let's say it's a, a pizza party or an ice cream party or, or whatever the case might be. So this dashboard, they would come in every day and we had a TV sure. set up right, right where they signed in. And, you know, they were able to see, okay, are we on track? How are our numbers looking? And that would make them work harder. So, you know, that's a long spill, but I'm I'm very, very interested in this stuff just because, again, it was so much fun, you know, doing this and building a platform that that did so much. And you're doing the same thing at a a higher level in the mining industry. But it's just very interesting to talk to people like yourself, Trevor, and about what you're doing. So, so what I would ask you, and, and you might have touched on this a little bit in your last segment, but let's say I'm new, I'm I'm brand new to a mine site. Okay, I'm 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 Preston. I don't have any experience. I just got hired on. Let's say I got hired on somehow. I, I, I don't I don't know how I got hired on. Maybe maybe my dad uh, is on the board of this company. You know, let's just give Preston a job. He needs a job. So I'm I'm new to this mine site, and they say, Hey, Preston, you are going to be in charge of the ESG data collection, and you're going to use this platform that we just invested in called Lynx Global Intelligence. And again, I'm brand new. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. So, uh, 
could you walk me through what I would be doing if I'm brand new to a job? Um, I'm guessing I have a tablet in my hand. Um, I've got your platform up, but I am, it's basically a, a foreign language to me at this point. So could you walk me through um, what exactly I would be doing? Yeah, Preston. So you're, you're probably either going to be on the environmental or the social side of the equation uh, of the, of the team. Um, if you're on the environmental side, you're going to be looking at things like water. You're going to be looking at things like noise and dust. You'll be looking at things like air quality. Uh, you're going to be looking potentially um, also at some other health and safety categories, although that can be a different department. It depends on how big teams are and like you know how things are set up. Um, if you're on that social side, you're going to be talking to communities. You're going to be engaging you know, with both internal labor, but also um, external stakeholders to understand what their um, kind of preferences or sentiment is around the mining activity. Um, one thing you really want is that buy-in socially from local communities. You you have to work hard at that um, and communicate well. Um, so you know you would have a you would have a big job, and if you were um, an exploration geologist at a smaller company, you potentially would be logging all of these things or, you know, a majority of what I just mentioned, and you wouldn't necessarily be bifurcated into just environmental or social. So, and that's all, and has nothing to do with, um, you know, the rocks and the, ge and the geology of the situation. And so um, it's a lot of data to go and capture on either side of that coin. And, um, you know, hopefully you'd be able to learn from your predecessor, have some good training materials to, uh, to get started because it, it definitely is um, a lot of hard work that these folks do on the ground. So, so right off of that, I mean, what, what are, what are your biggest data sources on, on these mine sites um, for, again, let's, let's just play out this example. Like I'm, I'm this new kid to the mine site. I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, I, I get a little bit of training, but I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are our biggest data sources for this platform? Could you, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'll take water as an example. Um, there's oftentimes sensors or even manual, for example, pH meter, um, that you'd be using. So there's a variety of kind of sensor, I guess, sensorial tools that you'd be using, um, to get water data, water measurements, for example. Um, you would also be, you know, it's interesting that on the social side, like I mentioned, you know, data becomes less quantitative and more qualitative. So in that case, you're actually going to be, you know, probably using, um, videos and pictures, you're going to be using your notebook. Um, hopefully you're using the links platform rather than um, kind of your field notebook to, to transcribe community meetings and translate what community members are saying. Um, you know, back on the um, environmental side, there's going to be sensors as well for air quality, for noise, um, for dust, for explosive vibrations and these kinds of things. And um, in the future, we're going to look at putting that data in automatically right now the overwhelming workflow that we see across many many clients is um, just reading that sensor and again putting it in some other centralized database or using some other platform you can aggregate all that together um, hmm. using links which is pretty exciting and again from personal experience i can tell you how important and valuable it is for someone on the floor um, again my, my experience was manufacturing but on the floor let's say for mine site how important it is and cool it is for someone to pull out their phone and have the data right there in their hand, right there. And they can see it. They can see a dashboard. They can see performance. They can log anything. And really, you know, let me just give you an example. You know, for lunch, I, I go to a restaurant, pull out my phone, 
do I even have to take a wallet anymore? No, I just use Apple Pay and just ding it and that's it. So right. the cool thing that you're doing is, you know, you're doing the same thing for for mining that, you know, Apple was doing for a wallet or, you know, all these other companies are doing with the phone. And for us on the on the floor, it was cool because let's say our senior vice president was walking on the floor. He can just pull out the phone and let's say something doesn't look right. OK, well, that's why you can look at the data right here on the dashboard. So that's so cool and, and so valuable that you're doing that in the, in the mining industry, because it sounds like it wasn't being done before. Um, and it sounds like also that you that you are able to solve problems before they even come because now you have that data right in your hand and you have that, you know, you have that availability to see almost like seeing the future. So that's, that's a really, really, really cool thing that, that you're doing. Um, and I applaud you and I applaud links because again, it's, you're using technology to benefit an entire industry. And as you've seen a lot of, like I just said, with Apple, with the wallet, Apple, with the phone, all these, all these industries that they've infiltrated, you're doing the same thing with mining. So I'm interested, Trevor, to understand how these companies report the data that is collected on your platform. Is Lynx responsible for reporting this data or is, I mean, or are these individual companies responsible? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the individual companies are going to be responsible ultimately for what they do with the data. Um, this makes us a little bit different than some obviously reporting platforms that are out there in the market. Um, can actually achieve more transparency and site level, you know, origin level data um, going into those reports with links rather than just kind of filling out boxes. So, um, or uploading kind of data into fields, which is kind of on the reporting side for some of the other um, companies there. So, yeah, we we really leave it up to them because there's so many different um, standards. We do align the event categories to the standards that are out there to create ease of reporting so they could easily filter and export, for example, um, back into another reporting software, kind of whatever format they would need. Um, but yeah, we're really at the beginning of that value chain. And so it it frees us up, I think, from having to commit to some of those standards or or completely engage with um, kind of the, some of those alphabet suit acronyms. But again, we, we have our pulse on it and we're kind of tracking that as well. You know, I was going to ask this question, but you already answered it earlier. And it was, you know, how does Link stay up to date with evolving ESG reporting frameworks and standards? But it sounds like you have somebody in house that's doing that, and that's their job, their full time job. Which, um, again, I, I applaud you on that because, I mean, it sounds like you know you're talking about this alphabet soup and all of these different standards you have to keep up with. If you didn't have that, I mean, you, you would really be really be spending a lot of time, you know, doing a lot of digging. So. You know, the next thing I would ask you is, and again, I go back to what we did with this manufacturing um, company, you know, how how does the platform provide support and training for clients, you know, using this, this SaaS platform? To give you an example, um, real quick, you know, we had in our organization, we had a, you had people on the floor that we were asking to use this platform that you, we had a language barrier, you know, their English might have not been great. You know, they might have, we had some older people that didn't know their way around technology. So we had to spend a lot of time training and a lot of time develop. I mean, a lot of what I did was develop paperwork that would literally show step by step what someone could do. So you could have a five year old kid go in there and just say, hey, here's this piece of paper. Here's a phone. 
figure this out. And they could do it because we made it so easy. So, you know, how does your platform provide support and training for clients using this SaaS platform? Sure. So we definitely operate in markets where English is not the native language spoken. So the platform is available in other languages. Um, Spanish comes to mind, you know, tons of tons of mining activity in Latin America. Um, so it's pretty important that the, the platform is in multiple languages. Um, you know, at the, at the outset of using the platform, we provide a lot of training and implementation work. We really don't want to kind of set it and forget it. We want to be right there step-by-step step with clients as they adopt the platform so um, they can start to, to really understand how to use it um, on their own in the field. Um, you know, things like offline event upload and these kinds of things can um, take, you know, probably one or two more steps than um, if they have internet connection, for example. So we really do want to train them, make sure they're adept and kind of trained on the platform before they start using it full-time and as a group. You know, what I've seen, if you design a platform that's easy and simple to use, then it's going to pay dividends in the future because people understand how to use it. And from what I've seen, you know, through looking at videos and media of, of Link's platform, it's very easy to use and it's very easy to navigate. So um, that is, that's a really good thing. So, you know, Trevor, with, with this real-time data aspect that you have with your platform, you know, how much time and efficiency have your clients gained? I mean, because we're talking about beforehand people carrying around a notebook and writing things down, which, you know, we had the same thing in, in our project, you know, in the manufacturing company. And another issue that I'm sure that, that you've seen is, you know, when you're writing down things on pieces of paper, paper can get lost, paper can get destroyed. And especially if you're at a mine site, I mean, weather, you, you have weather that comes in. Okay, what if it starts pouring down rain? Okay, what, what's going to happen with the paper? What happens if it's windy and you're holding a piece of paper and it just flies away? Um, so, you know, that's Absolutely. that's another aspect of why paper just doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, and you also have to print it. I mean, it just makes no sense. So, you know, with this real-time data aspect that you have, where you're having, let's say, an iPad, a tablet, and you're carrying it around and, okay, let let it start raining. Let it let it be windy. No, I, I have this this piece of technology in my hand, and you know, put this, these these pieces of data in this platform, regardless of what happens. So, you know, could you talk about how much time and efficiency you know your clients have gained from using your platform? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we were actually calculating this recently for one client. Um, they're saving about fifteen minutes for every event. Um, that they're adding. So this would be the amount of time it takes them to write it down, upload it into a spreadsheet later on. And if you times that um, by the number of events that they've uploaded, I think it was in the last six months, you know, we're looking at a, a time savings of over a week um, for their wow. team. If you think about a week out of your working year, that's a, a pretty substantial amount of, of efficiency gain. So there's that aspect. And then as you mentioned, Preston, there's a risk reduction aspect of, you know, not losing data when it's time to access it later on as well. So that's, that's another thing we're working um, quite hard at, at quantifying as well. So don't have quite as hard of a number for you on that one, but um, yeah, certainly in the first case, we're saving um, just a, a, a really significant amount of time for our, our clients in the field. Yeah, I mean, and you can quantify that that amount of time too, and see how much you know what's the cost savings as well. I mean, if you're if you're saying a week, multiply that by you know x amount per hour. 
I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it's a good amount of good amount of cost savings as well. I mean, you talked about risk mitigation. That that's a big, big, big driver as well, because we talk about you know, let's just say paper for example, um, and the age old thing of filing paperwork and having these massive cabinets of just data that you have to sort through when you're looking for something. And it just makes no sense. Spreadsheets are a little bit better because you still have that on your computer, but it's bulky and it's annoying and it's and it's just not very efficient a lot of times. So now what you've done is, you know, let's throw out the filing cabinets. Let's throw out the paper. Um, spreadsheets are better than that, but let's improve one more step. And that's creating this this platform that's designed specifically for mining companies. Um, so... Um, Trevor, you know what are what are some of the common modules found on your platform, and how are they used? Yeah, I would say the uh, the monitoring module for sure is the one I I probably reference or like to talk about, and this is for again those specific air or water monitoring events that happen in the field. Um, this is going to allow you to log things like pH, presence of heavy metals, these kinds of things. Um, and then air quality, of course, is really important, and that ties into, um, of course, social the social side as well as, as miners try to kind of achieve social license through having clean air and water um, around where they work or at least you know communicate what's happening clearly. Um, so, yeah, certainly that monitoring module is, um, is quite important. Um, and then also I point out the audit log, which is um, one thing that you just mentioned um, in terms of this, the spreadsheet aspect. Um, you know, spreadsheets can still be manipulated or corrupted, um, you know, as they get passed around via email or, you know, the file type isn't labeled correctly. I think we've all experienced that trying to search for something in our email that's not labeled correctly as a spreadsheet. Um, and so solving those issues too becomes pretty important with the audit log. Um, the audit log is going to provide that kind of source record or log of record inalterable, um, that you know can't be adulterated or manipulated um, to kind of present something other than what's happened in terms of the data entry. So that that's a pretty important um, module or, or feature function that I'd point out as well. One thing that I love, you know, about these different platforms is the dash the dashboard aspect because um, so, you're actually being able to visualize data and you're not just looking at numbers and you know just seeing what numbers are. Now you can actually see sure. you know, there's a picture that you can that you can look at. So, you know, are, are these different organizations, they have the ability to customize different KPIs on their platform or not on their platform, on their dashboards. Are they able to manipulate that and kind of create that themselves? And the other thing I would ask, um, the second part of that is, did you in your in your software, are you connecting this to a to a product like Power BI um, or did you actually create your own dashboard um, element for your platform? It's a great question. So you can actually import spreadsheets, um, historically speaking. Um, so there's that aspect to it. But um, yeah, this is, uh, you, it's a customized dashboard. So you, you're able to build both system widgets um, or, you know, that, that'll be present for everybody on your system or customize your own. Um, so it's that customized dashboard, super, super useful for clients that want to see data kind of that matters to them. Um, in a way that's presented in a visually relevant way for them as well. And, you know, you just talked on this, uh, but I want to get into it a little bit more. 
you know, does your does your platform have the capability to integrate other tools and technologies that tools, I mean, that that clients might already be using, you know, example being Microsoft Excel, which, you know, spreadsheets in particular seem like they're already being used. Um, and this could be massive for historical data where companies could go back to their old spreadsheets. You know, they could import that into your system and then they could see over time how their ESG data has changed. Um, does does your platform have that capability? Yeah, so that historical data upload feature that I mentioned um, allows, and sometimes there are some um, column column heading adjustments that need to happen before we upload, but in general, we're able to upload historical data um, that's going to provide, you know, for that same dashboard level kind of trend and pattern analysis. And then, yeah, we can set dates and floating dates um, if people want to look historically at, at what's happened as well. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's it's interesting the range of technologies that we could integrate with. Certainly things like sensors, satellite imagery um, for other GIS systems that are out there. Um, one thing that we're working on quite hard is is email integration. So, um, you know, folks that are receiving alerts and notifications and then being able to communicate that information um, via email too. So, um, yeah, working quite hard at at, uh, at all of those features and integrations. So for the next segment, we'll get into Trevor is talking about strategy, uh, specifically with your platform and links in general. So how long has it taken to deploy your software to an organization? You know, it only takes a number of weeks to deploy. Um, we typically do three or four implementation meetings with clients. Um, so it doesn't take very long at all. It's not a long um, implementation cycle by any means. And, and I'm interested in what projects you're currently working on with you and your team. Could you share any of those projects? Um, I know that, you know, some things you can't talk about, but is there anything that you can't talk about in terms of the projects you are working on? Um, yeah. In terms of clients or in terms of kind of what we're building? What you're building. Yeah. You know, I will say we're looking at a number of future state functions that, could involve some of the generative language models that have come out recently. So most people are calling this AI um, different conversation, but yeah, essentially, uh, you know, using AI or, or generative language models for things like sentiment analysis. Um, these are, these are downstream projects that will take years to really kind of tune, but something we're definitely planning for and have a strategy for, and, you know, we'll likely raise more capital for it, to be honest. So I'm interested, you touched on this earlier when we were talking about, you know, how much time and efficiency has been, you know, saved and, and gained um, by clients using your platform. Could you share any success stories, you know, of mining companies who have used your platform to, again, improve their ESG reporting and performance? Yeah, you know, the one I like to talk about is SPC Nickel in Sudbury, Ontario, and um, they have improved... Um, for, for sure, um, in terms of not, you know, again, not necessarily in terms of what they were doing, because they already had a great ESG profile that, to begin with, but they have made a ton of gains in terms of documenting that and getting it in a digital format with links. And the next thing, Trevor, is why are quantifiable um, ESG metrics important in terms of financing? You know, what what's the importance of having for these mining companies having these ESG metrics in hand? when they're going to look for, for financing? Yeah. I mean, f investors definitely want to see, um, 
sound performance in terms of ESG. They want to see that the company is not in danger of losing their social license to operate. And they're probably going to check that um, there are a number of robust you know, best practices happening for water and air and those kinds of things. Um, it can vary. Some investors, you know, put different emphasis on different um, aspects of the mine life cycle. So for example, tailings becomes very, very important in terms of understanding that. Um, but other than that, you know, um, you get a, a kind of a, a wide set of preferences depending on jurisdiction, depending on what the investor cares about as well, um, which again is why some of those um, consistent standards are going to be so important, right? So we're speaking the same language, so it's harmonized across those um, that standard or those standards as well. So, so looking at the future, Trevor, um, and looking at you know the capabilities of Links and, and your platform, do you see this this platform being used in other industries? Are you trying to stay in that niche space of of mining? You know, absolutely, Preston. I think uh, probably agriculture, um, industries like shipping, um, industries like energy can definitely benefit from the platform. You know, we're a, a small but mighty and growing team here at Lynx. And so focusing on one sector first has been very important for us. But later this year, we're absolutely doing some market testing um, against some of those other markets that I mentioned just now. It's pretty exciting. Oh, wow. So... You know, we've we've talked about policy um, in several episodes on this podcast. And to be honest with you, Trevor, I, I had no idea. I had no um, experience, education in policy before, you know, starting this podcast. And I've been so, so interested and excited to to learn about this stuff. So, you know, I've, I've talked about with Emma about policy on rare earth mining, talked about um, rare earth mining policy with John um, last episode with nuclear I mean, I talked about policy with, with Max, um, you know, several, several weeks ago. But when looking at policy on mining for links, you know, what is the importance there? Because I'm guessing with certain policy that's being passed, um, it's going to help or hinder what you're able to do, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive that's coming down from the EU and then by extension will be national law. Um, is extremely important for links because it will require companies to report on aspects of their supply chain um, that are no longer going to be kind of voluntary or opaque. So that's pretty important. Um, and then the SEC's proclamation on greenhouse gas emissions later this year, also going to be quite important um, as we track what the demands are that are going to be placed on mining companies that need to, to comply. So, um, again, we look at Europe and the U.S. Um, in terms of policy and then also individual nations in terms of the kind of um, standards and frameworks they're signing up to as well as a result of their national policies to have sustainable mining. So it is extremely important. It's a world that I like to happen to enjoy personally kind of looking at and and analyzing and something, yeah, that we're going to be tracking heavily moving forward. The last thing we do on this show, um, Trevor, is a couple questions that I ask. You know, they're very they're very vague, uh, but I, I do it so that the listeners can really gauge that there's there's usually one singular answer. Um, so, you know, the first one of those questions is, you know, why is sustainability important um, in our world today? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think the 
answer you hear most often has to do with climate change or at least the um, you know average rise in temperature over time that has to do with human activity and, and that's extremely important to assess um, now and not wait I think that's that's to be clear so part of part of assessing that and um, kind of getting reducing um, the number of greenhouse gases and pollutants that are going to you know, cause that surface temperature to rise on earth um, has to do with getting away from fossil fuels and moving towards batteries. And if you're familiar with batteries um, to store the energy from wind turbines, from geothermal areas, et cetera, um, it takes a lot of metal and that involves mining. And so that's really why it, from my, perspective that thinking about sustainability in a holistic sense is important because we're not going to get away from the fossil fuels um, that we kind of need to to get away from and and reduce the use of um, to have more of a climate-friendly stance and and climate-friendly policies Um, but then also you know the the downstream community and uh, other environmental benefits from just doing a little bit better job on um, on the source or origin point of where those minerals come out of the ground. Yeah, the next question is um, for all the people that are listening right now that might have a dream um, of starting their own company one day. You know, they want to be a CEO. They they want to you know start something from the ground up. I mean, what what advice could you give them as as an entrepreneur as yourself as as they look to grow something of their own? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there are a lot of opportunities for applying. You know, this especially this new wave of generative. AI language models that are coming out. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of great work to be done in applying those new technologies to some really significant problems around the world, you know, humanitarianism, development, all kinds of things that um, could be accomplished that I think people aren't really thinking about that have tons of scalable and, and impact and value-based opportunities behind them. Um, you know, I'll say that you have to be very, very gritty. So, um, Obviously, things are not always going to go your way when you're just starting out. Um, that's maybe an understatement. So I think, you know, having some resilience and some grit is going to be very, very important. You know, some people thrive in the face of adversity and, and some people just it's really not going to be for them. And so to, to know that about yourself or um, kind of how you're going to react when um, people are, you know, not only kind of ignoring your idea or you, but also maybe even putting up barriers or trying to resist change. Um, that can be just pretty, pretty tough and deflating, but um, therein lies the reward, right? You're working on something that, you know, f- very few other folks, you know, potentially could be working on it at, at the same time, um, which you have to have an immense amount of gratitude for. Um, you know, I feel quite lucky to be at this intersection between ESG and technology and mining. Um but you also have to be a little bit, um, yeah, fierce and gritty and, and humble moving forward and, and trying to make it happen. So hope that helps. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, Trevor, again, I appreciate you so much for coming on and speaking to the Grand Hour today and, and sharing your experience and expertise in this field. Um, and it's really, really cool just what you're doing, you know, again, bridging that gap, um, ESG technology and mining. So again, it's just from the bottom of my heart, just thank you so much for for coming on today. Thanks, Preston. Yeah, I really appreciate talking to you and um, cool podcast got going here. Um, Looking forward to listening to some other episodes with the other guests as well. So thank you.